So we're in Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12. We've been there for several weeks. It is, it's a long sermon by the Lord. And many thousands of people were tripping over themselves trying to get to Christ. And the Lord says, uh, be on your guard against the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Hypocrisy being, I want to appear to be one thing before the vast majority of people, all the people, but I don't really have this relationship, this vertical relationship with the living God. So, so hypocrisy is playing to many people instead of playing to an audience of one. And then he talks about how you overcome hypocrisy by, by uh, running to the Abba goodness of the Father who's numbered the hair upon our head, by acknowledging the Son and by welcoming the Holy Spirit. And in the middle of that discourse, he has a parabolic statement about possessions and about building bigger barns. And he says this in verse 15. He says, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And then he talks about a man who was foolish, who built bigger barns and thought about only himself and talked only to himself. And Jesus says, he's, he's just a fool. And then he enters into a discourse about paralyzing worry that frets and fumes instead of trusting the goodness of the Lord. And it says in verse 32, or verse 22, he says, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life and what you eat, nor about your body, what you will wear. For, for life is more than food and the body is more than clothing. He says, you know, trust the Lord. And, and then he gives this statement in verse 32. Fear not. Fear not, little flock. For it is the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. So, so, so fear not. Be, be people of of courage. Fear not. Then he says this. Sell your possessions and, and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. He gives this undeniable truth that would be affirmed by any man, woman, or child, no matter what their worldview or theological perspective is. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So, so he, he says that, that this is the, the Lord is going to give you the kingdom. Rejoice in that. And when we pray in the Lord's Prayer, thy kingdom come, we pray this according to the Heidelberg Catechism. Lord, Lord, may you rule by your word and your spirit in such a way that we submit ourselves more and more to you that we that you preserve and increase the church, that you destroy the works of the devil and every obstacle raised up against the worship of Christ and the power of your word, and that you do this until the full perfection of the kingdom takes place in us. And so when you look at this passage, Christ is saying this, as you live in the empowering presence of the kingdom of God, as you are people who have dealt with hypocrisy, as you've dealt with bigger barns, as you've dealt with runaway worry, then you can be people who embrace the kingdom and you do that by crying out, Lord, may, may we live in such a way that we are men and women who have money bags that don't grow old. May we be people who 
are people that lay up treasures in heaven where no thief can break in because wherever our treasure is, there will our heart be also. So I read recently last month, there was a situation in California. A woman was married to a pack rat who never threw anything away. And so one day when he was on a business trip, and she rented a U-Haul, backed it up, and em- emptied several closets and took it to the Goodwill. And finally, some breathing space. Those of you who are married to people that are loath to throw away anything can empathize with this woman. And, uh, 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 I always ask for a show of hands who's married to people that won't do that. You know, this, this she said to her husband, you, you were born in 1957, but you lived like a child of the Depression. And so he came home and went to his closet and noticed that a lot of things were gone. And he said to her, what happened? She said, I finally mustered the courage to get rid of all this stuff that you never use. And he started weeping. True story. Started weeping. He said, did you throw away the Orvis fishing jacket with the multiple pockets? She said, oh, yeah. You've never worn the thing for years. And she said, what's going on? He said, I have been squirreling away money for our 40th anniversary and large bills. There were $8,000 in the pockets of that fishing jacket. And she said, well, let's go to Goodwill. (laughs) So they went to Goodwill. Thankfully, there were ethical people there that saved the jacket and all $8,000 were there for their 40th wedding anniversary gala trip. But the the, the issue is that, that we can be people who lay up treasures that's going to be thrown away. And Jesus says there are treasures in heaven that, that, that they don't, they're not thrown away. And then he says this, again, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So this happened to me 25 years ago or so. Um, my wife is, uh, her heritage is from Minnesota, and her, especially her mom's family, are very achievement-oriented, bright uh, Minnesotans. And they always had fun with me about being from the South. And they would always say, now, how old is Strom Thurmond this year, Buster? That type of thing, if you remember that. And, and so they would always give me a hard time. They were Hubert Humphrey, Walter Mondale people, all that kind of stuff. So I, I, I'm sitting one morning at a family gathering reading the newspaper, uh, acting like I'm reading the editorials, but reading, really reading the sports section. And one of the Sarah's cousins comes downstairs, and she's a chemist at DuPont and very bright and has an advanced degree. And she says to me, now let me just say this. I grew up in North Carolina. I grew up in the heart of NASCAR country. In fact, Richard Petty and and, um, Cale Yarborough and those guys all grew up close to us, and their fathers all learned to drive by trying to outrun the revenuers. It's just that's the way where they came from. And the moon, they were all moonshiners by heritage. And, and so I, I just never got involved in NASCAR because that was something that other people did. We loved basketball and football. So I never followed. I just knew it was there. And so I'm reading the paper, and she comes down, and she says to me, Buster, how is Jeff Gordon doing in the Winston Cup? And I go, I beg your pardon? I mean, you could, I, could have, I could have been more surprised. I thought, you got to be kidding me. This is NASCAR. And she says, no, how is Jeff Gordon doing? And I said, well, I don't know. I don't follow NASCAR. She says, why do you ask? And this is, this is the answer. She says, I have stock in Jeff Gordon. 
I worked for DuPont Chemical, and we had the option to buy stock in Jeff Gordon. I dumped a bunch of money in his racing team. And I thought, shocker. But the, the, the truth is that wherever your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So, so as we go to this passage, let me say this. If you're aware of the leaven of the Pharisees, if, and if you fight the bigger barn mentality, and if you trust Abba Father instead of endlessly fretting, if you're, if you're trusting in riches in heaven instead of riches on the earth, then you can hear this passage. But if you haven't walked through the sequential steps that Jesus gives us in Luke 12, I'm afraid this passage will have a limited impact on you. But let me read it anyway, and we'll go through it. Verse 35 to 48, Jesus says this, Stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning and be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at table and he will come and serve them. If he comes to the second watch or in the third watch in the middle of the night and finds them awake, blessed are those servants. But know this, that if the master of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have left his house to be broken into. You also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. And then Peter said, Lord, are you telling this parable for us or for everyone else? And the Lord said, who then is the faithful and wise manager whom his master will set over his household to give them their portion of food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that servant says to himself, my master is delayed in coming and begins to beat the male and female servants and to eat and drink and get drunk, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour he does not know and will cut him in pieces and put him with the unfaithful. And that servant who knew his master's will but did not get ready for or act according to his will will receive a severe beating. But the one who did not know and did what deserved a beating will receive a light beating. Everyone to whom much was given, of him much will be required. And from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand all the more. First of all, he says in verses 35 to 38, he says, he says be, be ready, be ready. And he, he says two things. Number one is, is, is stay alert and be dressed. And then he, secondly, he says, and, and keep your lamps burning. So stay alert and be dressed. In those days, there were flowing robes that men wore, and they prohibited quick movement, adroit movements. And so if you're going to be moving quickly, you would take your robes and tuck them under your belt so you could move quickly. And so what Jesus is saying here is, is, is be people who are dressed and ready to go. Always be ready to go forward. Already be dressed for action. Be ready for movement. Be, be aware of the volatility of life. That, that, that the Lord is coming and, and that death comes when you, you, you don't expect it. 
So, so live with a sense of, of readiness. Because life is full of joy, but also full of volatility. And then he says this, and, and keep your lamps burning. Now, for the lamps to burn, you have to be replenishing the lamp with oil. And so as, as I think about this and look at this, it, be alert and continually receive fresh oil from the spirit of the living God. Receive fresh oil. Uh, receive fresh oil and, and understand Hebrews 11 that says, verse 6, and without faith it is impossible to please the Lord because everyone who believes in him and, and comes to him uh, receives the blessing from the Lord. That God replenishes us as we come to him, as we continually cry out to the Lord by the power of the Holy Spirit, fresh oils. So you're, you're, you're dressed and you're, you keep your lamps burning. I just went to a conference this week with several people on our staff called the Gospel Coalition. It was in Indianapolis, it was, it was really good. And one of the keynote speakers that I had a chance to spend time with was a, a man from Australia who had a wonderful sense of humor. All the Aussies there, just fun-loving, just fun to be around. And so he came out to speak, and he kind of shuffled to the podium. He's wearing this uh, leisure-type suit that looked like it hadn't been pressed in 20 years. And he spoke very quietly, but he just took the Scripture and laid it out. He's in his mid-70s. His name is Peter Adam. And so we had lunch together and we were talking and, and I said, you know, I said, tell me, uh, as you go for it, pressing hard, I want to finish well, you're 10 years older than me or so. I said, what, what, what? He says, this, I pray this every morning. This is my prayer every morning. Listen, this is great. He says, May this day be my best day of loving and serving you, O Christ. May this day be my best day of loving and serving you, O Christ. And he said this. He said, Buster, if you're not going forward with the Lord, you're going back. You don't tread. Of course, we know that. He says, I want to go strong. May this day be my best day of loving and serving you, O Christ. So Jesus says, be prepared. And then he gives this, this statement. Verse 39, or 30 and 39, uh, but, but know this. If the master of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would have not have left his house to be broken into. You also must be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. When you, when you think about this, do not think about, about hurricanes and invading armies. You see, part of the good news about living in a hurricane area is that you have a four or five day warning of what possibly could happen so you can panic for five days. And you can run around and empty every store of every battery and every food parcel in the, in the low country. But, but you are, this could happen, this could happen, so you get prepared. Or if an invading army is coming, they'll say, well, they're here on Friday. They're going to be here on Sunday. And you'll know when they're going to be in your area. When you think about this, you think about earthquakes and you think about tomahawk missiles. Now, earthquake, boom, it just hits. Or tomahawk missile, boom. 
That's what he's saying here. It's sudden. It's, it's unexpected. And, and it happens. Let me tell you a cautionary tale. There's a man named Leo Tolstoy. I read a couple biographies about him a few years ago and just kind of studied his life. And he's written books, uh, Anna Karenina, which is a great book. He wrote War and Peace. I, I told the last group, just confess to you, I've started War and Peace four times. I've never finished it. And uh, because all the names end with Ilyovich and they're 15 syllables wrong. And I just go, I just, I don't, I, I can't, I, I can't do it. And so I've never finished War and Peace. And after the service, a woman came up to me and said, I've read War and Peace two times. I thought, well, good for you, you know. That, that was not the point of my sermon. So, I mean, that and a daughter will get you a cup of coffee in the Welcome Center, you know. But uh, I've, I've never finished War and Peace. But he's, he wrote a little book in 1886. It's only 120 pages called The Death of Ivan Ilyich. And it's about a man who is a bigger barn guy. He's building bigger barns. And then he, he, he understands that he's approaching death. He's very sick. And so basically in the last months of his life, Ivan Ilyich comes to terms with his mortality and he makes amends with people that he's offended. So it's, it's a wonderful story written in 1886 about uh, living in a state of readiness. Now, Tolstoy's story is, just a couple years before that, he experienced what he called a religious conversion. And it wasn't what we would call a conversion as Orthodox Christians. It wasn't about the, the supremacy of Christ and the cross and the forgiveness of sins. It was just about the fact that you should live a simple life and be some type of vague, undefinable, mystical person. So, so that, that was his, but he, he renounced life and, and he, renounced, uh, he renounced having intimacy with his wife and he renounced possessions. He was very wealthy. And, uh, but he had married his wife at the age of 34. She was 18. He'd led an incredibly profligate, immoral lifestyle. They get married and they're married 48 years before he dies in 19 and 10. So, so I read another book entitled this. It was entitled... The Stormy Marriage of Leo and Tanya Tolstoy, married for 48 years, written by the same man who wrote The Rise and Fall of the Third Reich, William Shire. So he's a good historian and did a lot of research. But, but, but here, here's the background. The, the background is that, is that Tolstoy writes the, the death of Ivan Ilyich in 1886. He dies that 14, 24 years later. And he treats his wife horribly. And he's at odds with his children. She's... She, is pregnant 16 times, gives 13 births, 10 children survived to adulthood. So he's at odds with his children. He's at odds with his wife. In fact, one of the last things we have that he wrote to his wife, let me just read this. This is not something you'll hear at a marriage enrichment conference. That's what he says. He says, he says, he says Sonia, we're, we're, we're in deep trouble here. He starts off by saying, I, I've, I, just as I've loved you when you, you were young, so I have never ceased to love you and still love you despite the various causes of coolness between us. Um, I said, let me, let me mention what has caused coolness between us. This is written five months before he dies. So it says, first of all, my, my, my greatest alienation is... Uh, from the interest of worldly life and my revulsion towards them, whereas you didn't wish to and were not able to part with them, not having in your soul those principles that led to my deep convictions. That has caused me great pain. 
I'm enlightened, you're not. Secondly, your character over these last years has become more and more irritable, despotic, and uncontrollable. How's that? Uh, the manifestation of these traits of character couldn't help but cool our relationships. Not my feeling itself, but the expression of it. That's the second thing. In other words, you're really messed up, Sonia. Thirdly, the chief cause of that which is hateful between us is your attitude towards people and our means of livelihood and our property, which I considered owning property to be a sin and the renunciation, unnecessary condition of really living. And you won't agree to that. And so he just kind of browbeats her. And he, he's, he knows he's sick. And he gets one of his daughters that he's turned against his wife. And they flee from his wife. He flees from his wife. He, gets on, uh, he, he goes, to, uh, goes to a train. He becomes deathly sick. And so they have to stop the train and put him in a, a railway house where he slowly dies over about a week and a half. And Tolstoy is one of the major figures in the world. So it's a media sensation. And there are people coming from all over Europe to write about the death of Tolstoy. They hire out, this is just a side, I just thought of this. They hire out a man to come and draw Tolstoy as he's dying. And his last name is Pasternak. And his son turns out to be Boris who writes Dr. Zhivago. That's for free. That has nothing to do with the story. Just don't want you to know that. And anyway, so, so there's there, Tolstoy. And, and, and he refuses to, his wife wants to see him. We've been married 48 years. And so she comes to the railway station with her friends and he refuses to see her. And his kids refuse to let her in to see him. And this is a photograph taken. And it's one of the most heart-rending photographs I've ever seen. This is a photograph of, of that Sonia Tolstoy standing on her tiptoes trying to look into the window where her husband is dying. That's as close as she could get. And when he goes into a coma, they let, they let her come in because he can't hear her and it won't bother. And I just thought, so see, here, here's, here's what I'm saying. I want you to hear this. You can write a world-renowned book about the, the death of Ivan Ilyich and about coming to terms with mortality and broken relationships and living only for yourself, and it can never get into your soul. It can never get into your soul. And I can read these words, and I've got to say, God, by your Holy Spirit, bring it into my soul. So let me give you four steps to live in readiness from the text. Four steps. I'll do this quickly. Number one, I can't get away from this. Jesus couches this concept of being ready with the fact that God is gloriously good and he blesses his people with his power and presence. So three times this little word blessed is used in the text, verse 37. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake. Verse 38, he finds them awake and they're blessed as servants. Verse 47, verse 43, blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. And, and, and the word blessed means to be happy or fortunate or fully satisfied or to be envied. It's appeal to desire. And what Jesus is saying is, listen, when you talk about readiness and you think about living for the kingdom and you think about, about not building bigger barns and about loving people and being reconciled and about not buying into the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy, realize I'm calling you to the life of shalom and happiness and joy and fulfillment. 
So, so one of the first thing about living in readiness is, is to say out loud that, that this is the life of purpose. To, to live with your eyes and your mind set upon the purposes of God is, is, is the life of, of purpose. Let me read some of the verses that, that deal with this same little Greek word that means blessed. Jesus washes the feet of his disciples, and then he turns to them and he says in John 13, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Fulfilled, if you serve people, you're going to be fulfilled. James 1.12 talks about the coming blessedness. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life. Or James 1.25, but, but, but the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, will be blessed in his doing. 1 Peter 4, verse 14, if, if you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed. Really? Why? Because the spirit of glory and of God will rest upon you. In other words, he says, if you are put down or even persecuted for the name of Jesus, you're blessed. Because when, when people speak ill of you because of who Jesus is in your life, the Holy Spirit rests upon you in anointing power. I read recently about a man who was born in 1891 and died seven years later. His name was Abra Rahman III, born in Cordoba, Spain. Abra R. Rahman III. He was, his mother was a Christian. His dad was a Muslim. He became a Muslim. He became the emir of Cordoba in Spain before the Moors were driven out. In his early 20s, he was emir or ruler for, for 50 years. He had a fantastic navy and army. He had wealth beyond uh, degree. He, he built palaces. Uh, historically, we know that he had, we think, a harem of 6,000 women. 6,000, which means his to-do list on Saturday was really long. Yeah. But here's his testimony. He says, I have now reigned for 50 years in victory or peace, beloved by my subjects. And this is a self-evaluation, so Beloved by my subjects, dreaded by my enemies, and respected by my allies. Riches and honors, power and pleasure have awaited my call. Nor does any earthly blessing appear to be wanting in my embrace. And he says this. In this situation, I have diligently numbered the days of pure and genuine happiness which have fallen to my lot, and they amount to 14. 14 days out of 50 years. I think of the psalmist who said, I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of the wicked. And I, I, church, I, I know I'm a pastor and I, this is what I do. And I really believe that readiness, the hinge is to realize that, that being ready and living with a ready lifestyle is tied up in you're blessed if you do it. That God calls us to joy and peace and purpose. God calls us to 
deep shalom. So point number two is that the readiness has everything to do with the gospel of peace. Because in Ephesians chapter 6, Paul talks about putting on the full armor of God. And he says, well, first of all, put on the belt of truth. And, 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 and then take on the breastplate of righteousness. And as shoes for your feet, put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Now, I was raised in North Carolina. And North Carolina is called the Tar Hill State. And if you ask, if you look at North Carolina history books or ask people from North Carolina, what does it mean to be the Tar Hill State? They will say this. I don't know. I have no idea. There, there are four or five rumors. One of them is they, that the British... Uh, we're going through a river in eastern North Carolina, and, and the, the troops dumped in a bunch of pine rosin. And when they got out, they had tar all over their feet, and they were cursing the American soldier, the colonial soldiers. Another is Robert E. Lee supposedly said, uh, uh, first at Appomattox, last at, or first at Gettysburg, last at Appomattox. God bless those Tar Heel boys. Another something, George Washington says something about oh, those North Carolinians fight like they have tar on their feet. I don't know. But, but the issue is, that it means you stand firm. Now, in the day of the Lord, Paul's day, soldiers would have these sandals, and they would lace them around their feet and their ankles, and then, then they would take studs like this, and they would push the studs in the sandal so that if they had to stand their ground, they would stand. And, and so I, I read the scripture here, readiness, and, and Paul says the way you stand your ground is that, is that you have your feet constantly, constantly made ready, see the same word, made ready by the gospel of peace. So I say to myself, so if, if I'm going to be a person who is a ready person, I will know the gospel. I'll live the gospel. I'll practice the gospel. I'll rejoice in the atoning work of Jesus on the cross for my sin. I will rejoice in the fact that Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Because if I'm going to be a person who's used of God, and if I'm going to be a person of readiness, I've got to be defined by the gospel of peace. Now, 100 years ago this month, we as a country entered World War I. And something happened in World War I that became universally known among troops. And because it was trench warfare and it was horrendous fighting and there was always a muddy quagmire in the bottom of the trenches, the men who fought would be standing there day after day and many times they would not take off, take off their shoes. They would not change their socks because they were always fighting. And, and, and if you do that, you develop something called trench foot. And our soldiers, especially in the Pacific theater, discovered the same thing in the hot, wet, humid jungles of Asia. That you develop trench foot. And when you develop trench foot, let me show you a picture of it. It's not a very pretty picture. I won't keep it up long. When you develop trench foot, you have all types of growths and things on your foot that, that keep you from even being able to stand on your feet. 
And so you may have a great battery of weaponry behind you, and you may be fit and ready to go, but if your feet are involved in trench feet, you can't even stand up. And that's what I think this passage is saying, that, that we really need to define ourselves by the gospel of grace. We need to glory in the good news of Jesus Christ. We need to rejoice in the atoning work that we're going to celebrate with joy and anticipation on Friday. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So that's point number two. Point number three is this. Great gifts equal great responsibility. Verse 48 says this. Everyone to whom much was given of him much will be required. And from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. There's a man sitting over here that I was with in, I think it was 1992, in Kiev and the Ukraine. We started some churches there. We went to look at the churches and see how they're doing. And so we, we go to Kiev. It's 1992, and I did some research, and the Ukraine in November, that's when we were there, is like Michigan in November. You know, lows, mid-30s, highs low 50s. Well, we get there, and it's the coldest November in the history of the Ukraine. And I, I, am, I slept with all my clothes on, with blankets on every night, because the Ukraine is separated from Russia, and Russia controlled the oil, and Russia had cut off the oil, said, you can't have oil. And so the buildings, very few of the buildings were really heated. It was horrible. And because they didn't have oil to transport groceries, you go into a grocery store, and there would be seven or eight items on the grocery store shelves. And I remember riding through the streets of Kiev with a local pastor, and I looked out, and I said, what is that line? And he said, that is a line of people waiting to get a loaf of bread. And I looked at him, and they were, I mean, there were many of them. They were stately looking. They, they were dressed nicely with their mink hats and, and, and their briefcases. And, and let me tell you something. You could walk up to probably two out of three, and they spoke Ukrainian, French, and English. And I speak English sometimes. They're, they're gifted. They're educated. They're, they're people of, of courage. You see what the Ukrainians went through in World War II? People of incredible courage. And, and, and the thought hit me. Every time I travel, this thought hits me. I am blessed to be born in America. I am. I've never stood in line for bread unless the cash register went down at the grocery store, ever. I've never gone without because of economic deprivation and because an enemy says you can't have anything. And then I multiply that many times over and say, how blessed I am to have heard the gospel of grace and understood it. How, how blessed I am to have received the Holy Spirit who's gifted me for the kingdom of God. No matter what my calling is in, in, in his church. Every child of God has received the Holy Spirit and every child of God is responsible. And, and so this, this is a sobering passage. It's a joyful passage because guess what? You're blessed. It's a, so, it's, it's a joyful passage because God is giving you of himself. It's a, it's a joyful passage because heaven awaits and, and believe it or not, as fantastic as it sounds, he says here that if you live well and, and go to heaven, that the living God will serve you. But it's a sobering passage that I am responsible. No matter what my calling, my, my giftedness, my station, my knowledge, I am responsible to live as a ready person looking to the kingdom. 
And it's very sobering. Fourth, the way to live in readiness is not to do what the unfaithful servant did. This is what the unfaithful servant did. He did the same thing the bigger barn dude did. He says this, verse 48, but, but the one who did not know and did what deserved a beating will receive a light beating. And, and he says, but previously, verse 44, uh, but if that servant says to himself, my master is delayed in coming and begins to beat the male and female servants and to eat and drink and get drunk. So, so this is his problem. Same problem with the bigger barn guy. He, he says to himself, he, he looks around and says, I've got to find a very competent, erudite, well-thought person to receive instruction from. Who is that going to be? He says, ah, me. Me. I, I'm omnicompetent. I'm, I have a lot of knowledge. So, so he says to himself, if I'm going to live with readiness, I'm going to live under the authority of this book. In the context of God's people. And I'm going to think about the scripture. I'm going to ponder it. If I want to be a person who's ready, I'm not going to say to myself, self, what do you think? I'm going to say, what does the scripture say? Hear me. We can know this, church, and not do it. Someone can write a book on a man coming to terms with death and then not speak to his wife and children for years. Blessed are you if you do the things you know. So we should be people who live with readiness, who care for people, who serve people, who are gospel-oriented, and who live with a sense of calling unto God. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this teaching from the lips of the Son of God. I thank you that uh, you call us to be people who live in readiness. So, Lord, we confess our sin to you. And, and Lord, if there are issues in our lives that need to be radically repented of, relationships that need to be made right, let us not live in arrogant disregard of people, but give us a brokenness. Lord, I, I pray that we'd be men and women who uh, understand our calling and understand our place of walking before you. Let us not be presumptuous about today or tomorrow, but let us live with a sense of purpose and dignity. We, we celebrate men and women who do that, just as we celebrate the homegoing this week of um, Brother David Stewart. We, we celebrate uh, the mercy that you have given us in Christ. Lord, let us live with great joy because you're God and you've loved us and you've gifted us and you've called us. But let us also live with deep sobriety because you are God and you've called us and you've gifted us and we will give an account. So blessed be your name. Lead us, O oh Lord, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.